Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, anybody know what time the sun rose this morning? 7.05-ish, a little bit after 7. Um, anybody know what time the sun is going to set tonight? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Tonight the sun will set a little bit after 6 p.m. So that's a little bit more than 11 hours of sunlight today, thank God, uh, which isn't bad, right? Until I think back to the height of summer in June around here, the sun would peek out over Mount Spokane about 5 a.m., a little bit before 5 a.m., and it wouldn't set until 9 p.m., we had that many hours of sunlight. I have two little boys, and they would wake up when the sun was already high in the sky, most mornings, and uh, ideally would be in bed before the sun set behind the pine trees. Their little eyes never saw darkness this summer. Why does that feel so amazing to be wrapped in summer's never-ending light. Uh, well, as has been already alluded, uh, while Christmas is distracting us, we will wake up one morning and find that the December sun will rise about 7.30 a.m., and the December sun will set a few minutes before 4 p.m. <laughs> Sorry, hate to be the bearer of, of bad news here. Hang with me, hang with me. I promise I've got good news for you today. But you guys are pointing to it, right? Why does that feel so hard? Why do I drag my feet as we look ahead at daylight savings? What is it about light that we all naturally long for? that draws us to it, that lifts our spirits? Is it its warmth, its brilliance that dazzles us, its ability to make things grow or naturally lift our spirits, bring us joy, vitamin D, right? What is it about light? Today, our scripture passage this morning calls our attention to this question about John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, we're in the middle of the Gospel of John this semester, and now we find ourselves in the middle of the story, the middle of Jesus' ministry. And there happens to be a really big festival in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, it was at the temple. This festival was at the temple in Jerusalem for the Jews, and it was called the Festival of Booths, or Shelters. And... This was a celebration, something that God had instructed the people of Israel to observe on a yearly basis. 
that, that was a way to tangibly remember how God had sheltered Israel, the festival of, of, uh, of booths or the festival of shelters. It was a way to remember how God sheltered Israel as they wandered through the desert. You see, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and God promised to give them their own land. But in between being slaves in Egypt and the promised land, Israel wandered through the desert for 40 years. And in that time of wandering through the desert, the people of Israel literally had to depend on God's sheltering presence for daily bread and for water on the daily and also God's presence literally in a pillar of smoke gave them shelter from the sun in the desert. And God's presence at night, literally a pillar of fire, gave them warmth and shelter from the cold and the dark at night. And so during these 40 years, God sheltered Israel. But as Israel wandered through the desert for these 40 years, Israel also had no permanent home. There was no place to plant a garden or to grow fruit trees or to reap their harvest. And so as they wandered through the wilderness for these 40 years and camped in these parched, arid, dry lands and depended on God's provision, they also had no harvest. And so this celebration, the festival of booths or the festival of shelters, this was a time for Israel to remember how God provided for them and sheltered them and also was a time to celebrate that now that is over and they have a harvest that they can reap. So this was all that was going on in this festival at the time. It was a pilgrim festival, and so Jews would travel from all over the place, sometimes very far, to be in Jerusalem at this temple to gather together as a group and celebrate together these things. So in chapter 7 of the book of John, Chapter 7 tells us that Jesus and his disciples and his brothers were up north in Galilee. They were up north in Galilee when the time of the festival came, and they said, Jesus, we want to travel down south to Jerusalem to be at this festival. And so they went, and Jesus followed them, kind of quietly at first because he was worried about being arrested by the religious and the political leaders of the day, but the festival lasted seven days. This was not like a one-night thing. This was like a seven-day, week-long celebration. And so as the festival went on, we see in chapters 7 and 8, Jesus kind of starting to take up his post as teacher, and he begins to teach the crowds that have gathered around the temple. First, about the scriptures and about the prophets and about these Hebrew sacred texts, our Old Testament, right? But then we see Jesus in chapter 7 start to pivot, and he starts to uh, make this connection for the crowds, uh, this relatedness that Jesus has with the Father in heaven. And we see him start to pivot and start to ask the crowds to believe in him, to let these living waters of belief flow out of their lives, Verse 34 says, or verse 38 says. And then we see the crowds begin to engage Jesus in this teaching. They're intrigued. Their curiosity has been sparked. They're listening carefully and they're wondering. Nicodemus is in the crowd. 
Forrest preached on Nicodemus a couple weeks ago, and he's in the crowd, and we start to see here Nicodemus reveal a loyalty to Christ in front of others. There's a stir. There's a stir in the people. Now, what's interesting about reading other ancient texts besides the Bible is that sometimes it can shed light on the culture and the, and the um, time of the day. And so in, as we, uh, there are accounts of this festival in some of these other ancient texts, one of them being the Mishnah, and it describes this festival in some of the most magnificent ways. And one of the magnificent pieces uh, in the description in the Mishnah of the Festival of Booths is the way that it highlights how the temple was illuminated the illumination of the temple and all of its surroundings at night. The descriptions in the Mishnah tell us of four giant lampstands, golden lampstands, each 50 cubits high or about 75 feet high with large golden bowls that sat on the top of each when set on fire would light up So brilliantly, the Mishnah tells us that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light of the temple. Four of these giant golden lampstands. Can you imagine? Wow. I mean, we light up our homes and our cities at holidays too, right? Think about fireworks at the 4th of July or string lights at Christmas. But this, Four enormous 75-feet-tall lampstands with a golden bowl at the top that was lit on fire so that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not get touched by its light. This picture was just amazing for me to think about. So imagine the scene here. These lampstands are lit. They're blazing And the crowds of people that chapter 7 records are gathered around Jesus. And they're asking so many questions about Jesus. Chapter 7 has so many questions in it. Their Their curiosity about Jesus is burning in their hearts, perhaps as heartily as these lampstands. And question after question after question gets asked. Where is he? How does this man have so much learning? Who is after you? Are they trying to kill you? Why? Will the Messiah do more miracles than this man? Or is this the Messiah? And Jesus stands up in the middle of the shadow of these questions and the shadow of these giant lampstands. And John writes, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is mentioned all over the place in the Bible. It's mentioned almost a dozen times in the first chapter of the Bible alone. It's the first thing that God says in the Bible. Let there be light. And God creates this light before God creates the sun or the moon or the stars, which begs the question from the very beginning, what is this light? What is light? 
David notices the light in his life when he says in 2 Samuel, you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord lightens my darkness. Nehemiah reflects on this light when he reflects on Israel wandering through the desert and he says God gave them light on the way in which they should go. Job mentions light 35 times in this one short book on suffering. The Psalms mention light 31 times. Psalm 119 says, Lord, your word is a lamp (laughs) your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isaiah prophecies in chapter 9 that the people who walked in darkness will see a great light and those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. He goes on in chapter 51 and casts this, God casts this judgment, listen to me my people and my justice will be light. If you offer food to the hungry and satisfy needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like noonday. And so the prophet concludes, we wait for the light. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The Bible uses light in so many different ways. And Jesus doesn't offer us a detailed description here of what that light is. It's hard to know what that means. Irenaeus, who is a bishop and a saint from the second century, notes this difficulty when he says, God is light. But unlike any light we know. God is light, but unlike any light we know. So it's hard to know what that light is. But we can put a few pieces together here and we can see what the light does. We can see what the light does. The light drives out darkness. I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Where there is light, there cannot be complete darkness. There might be some where there's, even a, where there's even just a little bit of light. There's a glimmer of hope. John 1 reminds us that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. When light and darkness meet, light always wins. It always wins. Martin Luther King Jr. reminds us that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. When light meets the darkness, the light always wins. Where do you notice the darkness? Where do you notice the darkness? Is it in the suffering of others? The injustice that seems like it's always threatening to overwhelm you? That tempts you to despair? Have you seen the darkness in certain places or spaces? Do you notice it in your own mind? That shame that paralyzes you? That comparison that makes you crazy? The competition that almost eats you alive? Do you notice the darkness that come with the questions at night as you fall asleep? Will I ever have that community? What do I do with this loneliness? What do I do with this directionless void? How do I keep this hidden? Should I stay in the dark? Friends, 
invite Jesus into the darkness. It doesn't have to be that dark. Invite Jesus into the darkness. Band, you can come on up. It doesn't have to be some mystical, super difficult prayer here to do that. It can be a simple prayer. Jesus, there is darkness here in blank. You promise that you are the light of the world. Come shed your light here. Jesus promises that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So friends, invite Jesus into the darkness. Amen.